0: This is what changed it all. This is what changed absolutely everything. I lived through it.
1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Live Through That, the podcast where influential artists of the 80s and 90s talk to us about a pivotal moment in their lives. I'm your host, Mike Hippel, and this week I'm pleased to welcome Rosie Garland to the show. Rosie is the original vocalist for The March Violets and an award-winning novelist and poet as well. Today, Rosie tells us a bit of a coming-of-age story and figuring out who she was through a tragic incident. Mm -hmm.
0: There I was, age 18, and I guess the backstory is that I have always been the weird kid. You know, it's like I know that there are so many people out there who were the weird kid, Um, But at the time I thought I was the only one in the world because that's the other thing about being the weird kid is generally you do feel like you're the only one in the world. I was living in a really rural part of southwest England um, and it was this real monoculture, um, you know, it was very white, very traditional, very conservative with a small and a big C. And, you know, I was outrageous because I liked reading. I was outrageous because I just didn't want to be pregnant by the age of 16. I mean, that's all it took to be weird. So anything else was like an added doom laden extra. And I had plenty of doom laden extras. You know, I was into kind of spooky stories, uh, which, of course, made my mum convinced I was going to get carried off by Satanists um I wrote weird stories um I wrote weird poetry you know yeah all that angst yeah so here I am and it gets to I'm 18 I have been counting down the years when I can legally get the hell out of dodge and go so yeah so here I am I'm I'm, I've been just like I can't tell you how long I've been waiting to escape, except it feels like my entire life. Um, so I'm 18. I managed to get a place in a college and not just any college, but 400 miles away from where my parents and my sister were living. And 400 miles might not sound like a very long way for folks who live in the States, because everywhere is thousands of miles away from everywhere else. But believe me, um, 400 miles is a long way in Britain. It's almost essentially one side of the country to the other. So, and it's like, of course, that means my parents won't speak to me because I'm not just leaving home, but I'm going a really, really long way away. This is back in, you know, it's like, yeah, there's no hiding what decade I am from. This is like 1980. And it is still a time when you can get a, a fully funded grant off the government To get to university, it was radical. I didn't realize it was radical at the time, but I realize it was radical now. So, okay, I pack my bag, I head off to Leeds University, full of this desire to break out. And what happens? I do the opposite of every single thing that I was planning on doing. I knew I was like, it's like, here's some examples. I knew I wasn't straight. So what do I do? I got a boyfriend. Um, I knew I was flamboyant and I dressed invisible in kind of beige baggy clothes the whole nine yards. And it's like, so it's like I had this really bizarre thing of, trying to be normal and it's like why so I have a boyfriend and not just any boyfriend but um one who policed what I wore you know I didn't just pick regular dude I picked Gaslighter dude who who laughed at me if I wore clothes that were tight or that fit me properly. And so you know this is why I'm wearing baggy, shapeless clothes um, because if I wore anything else, he told me I look fat and stupid. Um, yeah, what a prince! But he must be telling me the truth because he's my boyfriend. That was the reasoning that was going on in my very, very adult brain. And he wanted to move to the countryside. Oh, dear God, he wanted to move to the countryside. And I just spent all my years trying to escape the countryside. And oh, guess what? My parents loved him. My parents thought he was brilliant because he was going to be the one who was going to get me to toe the line and be a good girl at last. You can see them wiping the sweat from their brow in re- in relief. Yeah, so all of this is going on and I'm trying, so- I, I, I think that I'm this independent and strong young woman and in a lot of ways I was, um, but i still got suckered in and for me it's like was I mad well probably but I've looked back on it many many times over the years and the only way I can explain it is that this is just how strong and how powerful the whole kind of sucking pit of conformity and normality and the idea that if you do the normal thing and if you do the conforming thing you will be happy see only way I can explain it is that I was trying hard to be normal because I was kind of I don't know buying into the whole crap that normal equals happy and safe yeah hang on to that one for a minute and I knew it wasn't me there was I knew it wasn't me but I was still doing it so I knew it wasn't me and I knew I was dying inside and that's not an exaggeration I knew that I was just absolutely dying and all the people could see on the outside was that I was living this normal happy life I was sliding and I was sliding fast So, what happens? Because something does happen. If I was going to, and this is one of the pivotal moments of my entire life, not just of when I was like 18, 19, 20. Um, It was the death of a friend. Um, And precisely, it was the murder of a friend. And even more precisely, it was the vile, serial killer front page of the National Newspaper's murder of a friend. My lovely friend Jackie Hill, which will probably mean something to folks listening in the UK. Um, She, as well as being a friend of mine, a college friend of mine, Uh, We were in the same tutorial group together and we were both quiet and invisible and normal and we kept our heads below the radar um, and we didn't speak up much in class. Um, She, Jackie Hill, was the last woman who was murdered by a serial killer who got the... You know, serial killers get these ridiculous nicknames and he was called the Yorkshire Ripper and he had been killing women for a really long time.
2: Suckliff's last victim was a 19-year-old student at Leeds University, Jacqueline Hill. Her death led to the setting up of a new super squad of top detectives desperate to catch a man who seemed to defy every known detection technique.
1: The Yorkshire Ripper was a man by the name of Peter Sutcliffe. Between 1975 and 1980, he murdered 13 women and attempted to kill seven others. He was arrested in January of 1981 for having false license plates on his car. He later confessed to being the serial killer, claiming that God had told him to kill those women. He died in 2020 after contracting COVID.
0: And I, I, I guess it's like if I can make a comparison that might resonate for folks in the USA, um, A guy called the Green River Killer um, killed many, many women. But what he did, which was the thing that was shared with the Yorkshire Rippers, to start with, he, well, or throughout, he selected women who were deemed as, you know, who were seen as being of less Value And I'm saying this in apostrophes because clearly I disagree with it entirely. And just in case anyone thinks I'm agreeing with any of this, he targeted women who were involved in sex work. And let's face it, um, on both sides of the Atlantic, the police weren't highly motivated. And it's a horrible thing to actually have to say. Um, in the UK, with the Yorkshire Ripper, he killed women who were involved in sex work or who were vulnerable, who were on the margins of society, and the police did nothing. And then Jackie was killed in November 1980, and they couldn't spin it, that they couldn't pretend anymore, um, and, boy, they tried, and... Um, And the front page headline, because I remember it, because this was my friend, the ripper kills an angel. And this is how screwed all that. Double value, you know, um, you know, the fact that people can't, you know, all of those really hypocritical double values came out um, because Jackie was a quiet and ordinary young woman. And, you know, she volunteered at the local Sunday school Um, and guess what, the police catch the Yorkshire Ripper within months of weeks of Jackie being murdered and so I fall apart, unsurprisingly. I absolutely fall apart um, because my friend is dead Um, and this fragile, fake world of act normal and it's all going to be okay it all blew apart. It all fell apart. Um, All these so-called certainties that I was trying to hang on to, you know, they they were all built on sand, you know, all this kind of so-called, you know, get a nice boyfriend and wear beige and don't stick your head up above the parapet. It was just um, revealed to just be, stupid absolute nonsense there's no point thinking that any kind of behavior is going to keep us safe because it isn't and so all of this was going on in my head as well as the personal grief of a friend dying And and because my world is just blown apart I have to rebuild it because um, nobody's going to rebuild it but me, and the, it it wasn't a terribly I can't say long story short because it happened actually quite quickly. I ditched the boyfriend who was still laughing at me if I you know wore clothes that were baggy, you know, tight fitting, and who was let's face it not desperately supportive of me in this time of upheaval and grief again are we surprised no we're not says everybody out there so I I dumped my boyfriend and again my parents stopped speaking to me you wonder whether they ever did speak to me but they had actually started after I'd got the nice boyfriend and they stopped speaking to me again because I'd dropped him and I threw out this wardrobe of beige clothes And I just dressed like I wanted to dress because, you know, dressing safe doesn't keep you safe. It's a nonsense. It's a myth. And if there's anyone out there who has ever lived with domestic violence, they will know the truth of the fact that no nothing you do and nothing you say and nothing you wear and no no form of behaviour is going to keep you safe. Yeah, I suppose another way you can look at it is because um, there was a, a massive resurgence of women's action and women's direct action in Leeds at the time because the Yorkshire Ripper um, was targeting women across Yorkshire um, and there was a big movement called reclaim the night because of course one of the things that the police said was like well women should stay indoors um to stay safe Um, missing the point completely is that women aren't the problem in this particular situation or really any situation and um and why shouldn't it why should it be women that stay in whereas if men stayed in for example um etc etc and the fact that staying in a home might not actually be a safe place to be so it's like yeah i also discover feminism and um i don't care if that's a dirty word for some people because it was one of the things that saved my life um realizing that there was a um there was a way of looking at what was happening that actually made some sense um it made sense of the botched Um, and careless and uncaring police investigation Um, it made sense of why I wasn't safe but because I got a nice boyfriend and war beige so there's that going on and within months of me turning my life around and I did turn it around because um I could have disappeared I could have um yeah, I could have just lost it completely. But I guess something that happened was that the fact that death... I mean, because it could have happened to me, you know? It was it was—it was a really... Um, one of those moments where everything kind of comes back to you where you think, you know what? Because Jackie was just walking home. She got a bus home, got off the bus at half past nine in the evening, and... Um, 100 yards from the flats where she was living and that's where it happened. Blink of an eye. It could have been myself or any of the other people in my tutorial group or any of the other young women who walked home in the dark from tutorials. And that, in essence, is the, it's like, this is what changed it all this is what changed absolutely everything i lived through it i was one of the very very lucky ones i lived through this So this is November 1980, and I dropped The Gaslighting Boyfriend. I dropped um, all of that, and I joined up with Tom Ashton, Simon Denby, and Lawrence Elliot, and we formed the March Violets, and I got on stage and started screaming. I don't tell it very often because... I, I, you know, I I don't want there ever to be a hint of it being kind of glorifying death or glorifying murder. It's a very, very personal story. And I think this is actually one of the first. In fact, I don't think I've told it publicly in this kind of forum. I've told friends I've talked about it, obviously, like personally, but it just felt, you know, I mean, that was November 1980, it happened. So that is 43 years ago. And maybe the time has come to tell it.
1: Thank you, Rosie, for taking the time to share that story. It's pretty intense, and I'm honored that she chose to tell it here. She will be on tour with the March Violets in the U.S. at the end of the summer and continuing in Europe through the fall. Check their website at marchvioletsband.com for exact tour dates. In addition, they've recorded new material that they hope to have out soon. Rosie will also have a new novel, The Fates, released in May of 2024. I've got links in the show notes to Rosie's website where you can find out more about her new releases as well as any upcoming workshops she might be doing. And a friendly reminder that you can also buy my book on 80s musicians and where they are today, 80s Redux, and its sequel on 90s artists, Live Through That, wherever you buy your books. If you like this show, please subscribe so that you'll know when the latest episode comes out. And if you're so inclined, leave a good review too. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Mike Hipple Photo, all one word, Thanks for listening. We'll have more stories next week.
2: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.